everyone and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. I'm so glad you're able to join us today on this, well, at least in Northeast Pennsylvania, rainy Tuesday afternoon. And today, let me uh, introduce our panelists again, Stephen Rose from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you again, uh, Stephen. Jeff Smeltzer from Exton, PA. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Drew. Good afternoon. And Scott Smeltzer from Gettysburg. How are you doing down here in Gettysburg? Doing all right. Good to be with you. Great. Glad everybody's able to make us today. And I'm still just getting a little disoriented with the little technical issues. And I don't know what Jeff is laughing at. Is there something wrong with my hair? (laughs) Oh, no, you're fine. I just cracked myself up. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're cracking me up. Glad everybody's able to join us today. Uh, If you're coming in from the Zoom or using the Zoom app, which you get at BibleQuest.tv, you have a few options than coming in other ways, but you can uh, click the Q&A box, ask your questions, comments, give us comments. You can even come in using your audio. If you raise your hand, click the hand button, and we'll bring you in with your audio. And coming in from Stephen's Facebook page, Stephen? Yep, just leave your questions and comments below. I also see Brother Hermano Fariñas giving a saludo and uh, greetings to you, brother. Hola, hermano Fariñas. <laughs> you guys are talking in tongues again, aren't you? <laughs> okay, so what are we talking about today, gentlemen? Well, we're going to start off with our Bible as a tool chest uh, scenario. I'm going to throw out a scenario. We haven't discussed it uh, ahead of time. And then I want you guys to bring biblical passages in and principles to address it. So suppose someone might be one of our listeners, might be anybody anywhere. uh, This happens to them, or maybe it happens to a friend of yours who's going through this. The scenario is this. Uh, You're a fellow, you've gotten married, you've been married for a few years, The honeymoon is over, and challenges of life have kind of come along, and it's not a horrible marriage, but it's not what it was, and things have chilled off, things are not as close, and there's this girl at work who either is showing an interest in you or has some problems she wants to talk to you about. She's in a difficult situation, and you find yourself talking more and more to her, and she seems to think that she really appreciates your advice. She really appreciates your point of view. Maybe she starts talking about how lucky your wife is to have you, but when you get home, your wife is not at the door saying, oh, I'm so lucky to have you. She's saying, why did you forget to do A, B, or C? What do you need to do? Flee fornication. (laughs) No, we're not talking about having fornication. It's a lady. But you flee before you have fornication. (laughs) Very good. So in Genesis uh, 39, Joseph had a woman, Potiphar's wife, who was very much interested in him. He avoided not only sleeping with her, but being with her. Proverbs chapter 5 um, and chapter 6, 
and chapter seven are yeah. all <laughs> devoted uh, to, to this topic. The first part of chapter five, um, he says, um, I'm talking about the forbidden woman picking up in verse seven. Uh, and now all sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So going near the house, Scott, you'll remember West Elementary School? Yes. Right across the street from West Elementary School, where you and I were students, yep. there was a girl, a girl lived there named Kathy, and I had a huge crush on Kathy when I was in about third grade. And uh, so I would ride my bicycle down there and ride past her house. <laughs> I, I never saw her at her house. I never saw her come out. You know, I'd ride my bicycle. by. I'd see the house, but I would go down there and ride just just, it's a public street. It's a public, it was, and you know, just maybe, maybe who knows what might happen. I might see this girl I had a crush on or something. Uh, if I had actually seen her, I'd have probably been terrified. I'd have probably <laughs> pedal as fast as I could to get away from there. But, but this idea of going near to the door, go, stay away from the door, the proverb says. Uh, the opposite is to just kind of leave open the possibility for who knows whatever might happen. Right, right. Now, our hypothetical victim, though, or, or perpetrator, whatever he might happen to be, he says, no, you guys have this all wrong. This, this girl, the one I'm talking about, she's not dressed in the attire of a harlot, grabbing me on the street corner, saying my husband has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money, but, you know, the bed's all ready. No, she... She's got, she's got problems. She needs somebody to help her. She needs somebody to talk to. She's, she's been mistreated. She's in a, her husband doesn't treat her well. He, we're not talking about doing anything. She just needs me. So she needs a husband who will treat her well and who will listen to her and talk to her and comfort her and all of those things. Don't try to be the substitute for her husband in any of those ways, let alone in the marriage bed. Right. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Yeah. And so there's this uh, warning. I also appreciate Romans 13 where it says, make no provision for the flesh that you should gratify its desires. Very good. Drew. Uh, I think of the words that Jesus had said in Matthew 22, 34, and it, it goes to something a little bit more base to me that my motivation, what am I interested in? Am I interested in you know, myself, grandizement? Am I building myself up? Or I want that kind of attention? Um, am I seeking something for me? And Jesus said in um, uh, 22, verse 37, he said to uh, son, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment. And then the second one, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in every aspect of my life, I need to, where is my motivation? What is my priority? Right. Do I love, do I, if I'm a Christian, do I really love God with all my heart and my mind? I'm not going to put myself in those situations. I'm not going to lie to myself that I'm going to do this to help somebody. I'm going to want to put the Lord first or else why bother? Give it all up. If you're not going to put the Lord first, then give everything up. All right. Very good. Two, two more questions related to it is the, you know, I'll go ahead and say them both. Number one, suppose this woman really does need some help, some spiritual guidance, some uh, uh, wisdom. Is there a better way than me spending time with her alone? Is there a, a good option I instead of that bad option? And I forgot the other one, so I'll ask it in when I remember. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, take your wife with you. <laughs> Oh, um, it's so well, what if you're not married? What if you're not married? It, it, it's interesting that when Paul wrote to Titus about uh, younger women and those who might teach them, he particularly mentioned the older women um, in Titus chapter two and uh, verse uh, five. Uh, they, verse four, they're to train the young women. The older women are to train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. It's not to say that, that a woman can't learn something from a man about her duties as a wife, but um, a married man is not, is not the man to go spend time alone with her to teach her that. A, a, an older woman would be a better solution. Now, if you're unmarried and she's unmarried and you're wanting to serve God and she's wanting to serve God and you're having a conversation about that. And there's also an interest, you know, that might develop into, you know, some courtship and, and dating uh, marriage. Well, that, that's a different thing uh, as well. And it, we're not violating something. Go ahead, Stephen. Still best to not be completely alone. Very good. <laughs> but to be meeting in a public place. There you go. Um, where you're not tempted to continue into other temptations. So the last question is, there are really two sides of that question. One, there is a problem at home. Things are getting colder. Things are getting more distant things, the, the, the marriage is not being what a marriage should be. And then stage two was there's an attraction over here that could maybe fill in that void if we're being unwise and foolish and not honoring our covenant. So in Ephesians 4, it says, put off the old, put on the new. Is the, the fullest solution here to simply say, well, uh, I can't go hang around with that girl back to the ball and chain. So Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives. Be not uh, bitter against them. Uh, one thing I might look at is, is the problem at home to some degree a function of my bitterness toward my wife? Uh, that's something I can do something about. Very good. In Proverbs chapter 5, after warning against the forbidden woman, it has a similar exhortation. In verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your streams 
be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. There's a emotional energy and investment in that. I've heard it uh, also put this way. You know, people say the grass is always greener on the other side. And that can certainly be that way when we're trying to look at other people or other people's relationships. But a better way to look at that is the grass is always greener where it's being watered. Very good. <laughs> Very good. I, I, I have a verse. I just can't remember which one it was in Ephesians when Paul was explaining the relationship using Christ and church as his bride and then the, the your wife, wife and a husband arrangement. And he said to uh, that husbands, you're to die for your wife. Right. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So you should be willing. Yeah. You should be willing to sacrifice yourself. And is that mean just, you know, well, I'm not going to do what she wants. I'm not going to, you know, be nice to her, but if a bullet comes, I'll stand in front. Of <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> that's the easier thing to do. <laughs> Not to take the bullet, but yet that's how far you need to go. The easier yeah. thing to do is sacrifice for her. When you got those are things that are, it's causing you pain or uncomfortableness, or the relationship is falling apart. Well, sounds like you got to do some more sacrificing. Yeah, the non-lethal sacrifices are more realistic, likely going to happen, and will, and more constant. Well, that's why they're harder. <laughs> You know, it's funny to me, we talk about big battles versus small battles. It's certainly applicable in the realm of marriage, but something has always stood out to me about David in uh, 1 Samuel, I believe it's 24, 25, and 26, where he's willing to spare Saul's life multiple times, the guy trying to kill him, and he will not stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed. But then Nabal is just being annoying. He's being a jerk. <laughs> And David is comes in ready with guns ablaze. Well, not guns ablazing, but I mean, he's ready to wipe him and his household out and takes Abigail's humility to stop him from doing that. But we can be the same way. It's like, oh, we're willing to die, but we're not willing to do the little daily things. Very good. Very good. All right. If we don't have any comments or questions from the audience. On what, the, what verse was that in Ephesians that I can't remember? Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 20, 22 and following. Okay. I just wanted to get that on the record. Thank you. 23 and following. Okay. All right, so uh, if we don't have any comments or questions coming in yet, let's go ahead and move to uh, an issue uh, somewhat related. And that is, uh, it come to our teaching recently um, about someone making an argument that the Bible does not prohibit premarital sex. It permits, prohibits adultery, but not premarital sex. And, uh, that this passage or that passage was really talking not about premarital sex, but this or that. So uh, why don't you guys start that? And Jeff, I know that you've done uh, in your commentary on Ephesians, uh, some work on that word. And so let's uh, start pivoting to that direction. Well, I, I, Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt Jeff, but before you get to that uh, point, what is the argument based on? Like what, Where's the foundation of the argument that the Bible does not teach against? Well, I didn't read the whole article, so I'll let one of y'all answer that. 
Well, I, th there's an article that you just alluded to that, that has been published that makes this case. But the, the fact is you probably run into this in conversations with people. I've run into this uh, in the case of young people, young people raised by Christian parents, young people who are Christians arguing uh, that they've decided the Bible doesn't really condemn sexual relations outside of marriage. It would condemn maybe a man taking another man's wife uh, in that case, um, but just two people, or as, as the world likes to speak of it, two consenting adults who want to have sexual relations, they would say the Bible doesn't condemn that. And the basis for the argument that I have heard is people go to some lexicon and they look up some of the vocabulary that in the Greek New Testament that's translated sexual immorality or fornication, and they see prominently there in, in, in the descriptions of the ancient usages of these words things like prostitution or prostitute. And they conclude that the words translated fornication or sexual immorality or fornicator uh, are really just words that have to do with prostitution. That's all the Bible is condemning. But if you have two consenting adults, there's nothing wrong with it. That's what young people today are thinking in some cases. Have you guys not run into that, that thinking? Yeah, yeah, I think we all have. Well, there's there's a lot to say about that. There's um, there's some uh, academic kind of discussion of the vocabulary of the New Testament. There's a guy named Kyle Harper. He's a professor out at the University of Oklahoma, and he wrote an article in one of these scholarly journals, Journal of Biblical Literature, in 2012, and the title of the article was Pornea, the Making of a Christian sexual norm. Porne is the word that's translated sexual immorality or, or fornication. And what he argues in that is that um, while in classical Greek, the word porneia, which he points out was hardly ever used, he says was only used four times in classical Greek, um, had, a, had, had to do with prostitution, that it being a word that wasn't much used in the general society was taken over by the Jews and then Christians. And uh, he points out Jewish writings prior to, to the time of the, of uh, the first century that were using the word uh, for sexual relations generally outside marriage. And uh, certainly when we come to the new Testament, we see evidence that that's the case. And we can talk about that, but I'll quit talking here for just a minute. And let somebody else get a word in edgewise. Let me just ask a question on what you just said. So you're saying that uh, the secular world, let's say first century, second, were using, didn't use the word often, but the Christians among themselves, non-inspired men who wrote letters and things like that, they would use the word? Back it up in time before Christians. Okay. Before. Jews before Christians started using the word more generally than just for prostitution. And uh, then certainly... Uh, among Christians, of course, the first Christians were Jews. The word was used for sexual relations outside of marriage. I'll give you a couple of examples real quickly in Acts 15, where there's this letter that is being sent by the brethren in Judea to the Gentiles who are becoming Christians. There are four things that they are warned against that they need to avoid. They don't need to keep the law of Moses, but there are four things that happen to be mentioned in the law of Moses that they need to avoid. And among them is fornication or sexual immorality. There, the word is used as a summary for all of the sexual sins found in Leviticus 18. 
and, and what's described in Leviticus 18 is, is not prostitution. Uh, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, and Paul says there's fornication or sexual immorality in the church mm-hmm. of Corinth. Yep. Um, and he's talking about a man who has his father's wife. That's not prostitution. Uh, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, and Paul is saying, because of fornications, let each man have his own wife. In other words, rather than committing sexual immorality or fornication, have your own wife. Well, friends... If fornication or the word translated fornication just means prostitution, you know, getting married is not the easiest solution to prostitution if sexual relations between consenting adults is okay. There's a lot simpler solution that's a lot less involved in getting married. But the fact is uh, sexual relations outside of marriage were wrong. And so the solution to sexual immorality was getting married. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, where it says flee fornication and passage we started with earlier. Mm -hmm. And that's a broader term. It included going to the prostitute, which I think there's an allusion here to, because it says in verse 15, shall I take a member of Christ and go join it to a harlot? Corinth was just full of uh, prostitution. and, And I think back in classical times, old Corinth, uh, the phrase Corinthian girl meant, you know, a prostitute. So it would have been included and might be focusing in on that, but it's broader than that because we have this. After saying flea fornication, look at chapter 7, verse 1. And remember, Paul didn't put a big chapter 7 there. It, it, he says, now concerning the things you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That was what Paul did. But because of fornications, let each man have his own wife. Not because of prostitution, let each man have premarital sex. Because of fornication, let each man have his own wife. Right. And let each woman have her, her own husband. Right. That, that is, and, and he says, you know, if... It is better to marry than to burn. Not, it is better to be hooking up than to burn. Mm-hmm. Also, Hebrews 13, 4. Um, let's turn over that passage. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 4. Let marriage be had in honor among all, and the bed undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Here's fornication, here's adultery, here's marriage. There's a word group here that in the New Testament is, it's a bunch of words related to each other. We, you might think of the word sell, sale, uh, seller. Um, I can't think, but you know, we have several different words, nouns and verbs that are related to each other. Well, that's true in other languages as well. And in Greek, you had the word Pornea, which is sometimes translated sexual immorality or fornication. You had the word porne, which would be a prostitute. Pornea in classical times, now we've already mentioned it was rarely used in classical times, but when it was used, it seems to have the significance, the act of selling oneself sexually. Porne um, could be a prostitute. 
female prostitute. Pornos was a male prostitute. Um, but what we're saying is in, in the uh, Jewish society, these words took on broader meanings. And when we come to the New Testament, they had broader meanings. And an illustration of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul is talking about this man who has his father's wife, and Paul refers to that as pornea, not meaning selling oneself in, in prostitution. And then he says this in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I wrote to you in my epistle to have no company with fornicators. There he uses the word uh, pornos, which would be a male prostitute. Now he uses the plural, so arguably you might argue he's saying prostitutes generally if you think this word only means prostitution. But listen to it. If it only means prostitution, does this make sense? He says, not at all meaning with the, I'll just put the word prostitutes in here. Not at all meaning with the prostitutes of this world or with the covetous and extortioners, idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. Do you have to go out of the world to avoid prostitutes? No. I mean, Many of us manage to avoid prostitutes without leaving home, <laughs> without leaving our neighborhood. <laughs> um, but he says you'd have to go out of the world. But you see here, when, when you understand he is talking about people who engage in sexual immorality other than just prostitution, he's talking about just generally sexual relations outside of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4, I think, Scott, that you read a, a moment ago makes that clear. Then, then, yeah, you just about have to go out of the world to avoid people who are engaging that activity. You don't have to go out of the world to avoid people who are, who are visiting prostitutes, but you have to go out of the world to avoid that. So Paul says, I wasn't talking about people of the world. Let's also mention this. The New Testament opens with Joseph, a righteous man. And he's about to put away Mary, his betrothed. Why is he about to put her away? Because so she, she was a child. Uh, yeah. Now, in our culture today, if there's a fellow and he's about to get married to a woman and she says, hey, I'm pregnant, most people today, a honeymoon is just a vacation. It, it, there's been fornication going on for a long time. But Joseph, a righteous man, even though he's, he loves Mary, he's betrothed to her, he's expecting to spend his life with her. But when there's a pregnancy, he doesn't realize where the pregnancy is from. But what does Joseph know? She committed fornication. No. The child's not his. Yeah, he knows the child's not his. Because as a righteous man, he has not been engaged in premarital sex. Which, which but tells him also that she had been engaged in premarital sex. He's assuming that. He's, he doesn't know that because he's going to find out, no, this is a virgin birth. But he's, he's presuming what would naturally be presumed because he knows it's, it's not him. Steve. We had a question come in from a viewer a little bit ago who asked or who said, I've heard the argument that consenting relations doesn't hurt anyone. And that's a pretty common type of argument that you'll hear from people. It was like, well, if both people are cool with it, it's not hurting anybody. How would you respond to somebody trying to use that line of reasoning? Very naive. So first Corinthians six, I think is, has the answer to that where verse 18, Paul says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body. That seems to have been the Corinthian attitude. Sin doesn't involve my body. But Paul's response is, actually, he that commits fornication sins against his own body. 
I'm, I may not, I say, well, the woman I'm with, I'm not hurting her because she wanted this. You know what? I've defiled not only her, I've defiled myself. Are you not, he says, or know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Glorify, therefore, God in your body. So I hurt myself. And you're hurting the other person. You're, you're, you're yeah. agreeing to hurt yeah. the other person as well. That's right. That's right. Let me share something uh, with you all, a couple of observations. One, the fact that it's consenting doesn't mean it's good. Right. If you have a drug addict and a drug dealer and they make a transaction, right. if there's two consenting adults, it doesn't mean what they're doing is good or good for them. Uh, somebody gave an illustration. They, they took some teenagers and they took a guy with a hairy arm and they put a piece of duct tape on his arm and then they ripped it off. <laughs> it was like, ow, that hurt. And then they put it on there again. They said, rip it off again. He ripped it off and he kept doing it. And after a few minutes, you know what? It didn't hurt much. Why? Well, for one, the, the tape is becoming less adhesive. It's not bonding as well, and it doesn't hurt as much. God made the sexual union to be something very adhesive. It, marriage is, is a challenging thing, and there's going to be difficulties in marriage, but th there's a lot of power in kissing and making up. It's one of the reasons why when a young couple gets married, uh, I, uh, I've often given the advice, if you have an argument, don't go telling your mom, you know, and in, in him, don't go run to your mom and say, you know what she did? You know, he said, because you two are going to kiss and make up, but the mother-in-laws weren't in on that. And, you know, they, they can stay mad. There's a, a lot of bonding there. There's chemical reactions that happen in the brain that cause you to bond to that other person. Well, when a person has, let me put it this way. What more intimate relationship can you have with someone? It's meant to be something very special. And if you make it where you go clubbing and you meet somebody and you go home with them, maybe the next day you don't remember their name. So you've done this most Intimate of bonding, and then there's a separation, and then another one, and, the, and another one, and another one. You, you're losing that ability to truly bond the way you're intended to, so that the two become one flesh and what God joined together. Don't let man put asunder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. That idea of one flesh, uh, you know, what what we see there really, it, that we first see that language in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Um, God puts Adam into a deep sleep. He takes a rib from Adam's side and he creates the woman. And then when the man sees the woman, in contrast to his uh, having tried to find a help suitable to him amongst all of other gods of the creatures, now he sees, ah, this is woman, for she was taken out of man. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then, then God says, uh, Moses writing God's words here, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and they shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So you have this, this man and this woman who uh, originally, Adam and Eve, uh, 
Eve comes out of Adam, and now they come back together, and they're one again. And Jesus quotes this in, in Matthew. Mark also records it. Two become one. It's not three or four become one. So in marriage, you have this idea of two people joining together and becoming one. And, and that, that's a comprehensive one. It's, it's an emotional oneness. It's an intellectual oneness. It's, a resp- it's, a, it's one in responsibility. It, it is also one in that physical sense. And that becomes clear in 1 Corinthians 6 when Paul talks about what's wrong with becoming one with a, a harlot. And so you see that, that idea. But the point I want to get at here is while we go through the Old Testament and we see men with multiple wives and uh, we see Judah um, going to a prostitute and we see various things happening which seem less than the ideal but are not always uh, roundly rebuked in the narrative as the story is told. We're just told what happened. Um, when, when Reuben, J- uh, Jacob's son, slept with uh, Reuben's concubine, Bilhah, we're not told that it was, we don't, we're, not, we're not told clearly that it was wrong until many chapters later. We find out, oh, God thought that was wrong. But what I'm getting at here is from the very get-go, the ideal was two people become one, and that oneness includes the sexual union, and that sexual union, becoming one flesh in that sense, is a part of that relationship. I'd like to share with y'all a really powerful story. This is, is, it was years ago. It was in the Chicago Tribune. And there was a journalist. Uh, he had an article. He'd do uh, different topics. And he'd get responses. And he had done an article about the T-shirts that were popular at the time. And this would be women and wearing kind of provocative T-shirts, both in fit and either the wording or the, the images on the t-shirts. And so he had an article about this and he received a letter from a woman in the Chicago area. And basically it said this, she said, I'm 23, 25. I don't remember the age. She said, uh, I, I have a nice figure. I'm considered very attractive. She said, I will not wear those t-shirts. She said, my body, I love my husband, and my body belongs to him, not every man walking up and down the street. So this journalist, he he decided to print her letter. Then he was contacted by one of his friends who had lived a playboy lifestyle. This was the type of guy that, you know, one night stand, one night stand, sometimes didn't know their names. And he was infatuated. He said, that's, I know she would never have me. He said, but I want that. He said, the lifestyle I live, he said, it used to be exciting. But now it's, you know, it was becoming more meaningless. A lot of the excitement was gone. It was empty and meaningless. And now he sees something really attractive, really exciting. And can you see why? And what, what's ironic here is how many people that, you know, what was the Billy Joel song? I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints because the sinners are much more fun. Okay. That that, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, and, and a lot of people have the idea, oh, if you follow God's rules, you're going to miss out on so much. 
Well, this fellow had been following Satan's rules. He'd been committing fornication right and left, you know, whoever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to, and like Solomon pursuing, or like the king pursuing wealth, he ends up feeling what about it? Well, he misses a lot. He missed a lot more. In uh, yeah, yeah. It ends up being like Ecclesiastes 5.10. He that loves gold won't be satisfied with increase. He ends up being dissatisfied, but then he sees something that from a physical standpoint is really exciting. And what was it that was what he didn't have that he wished he did? What was it about that woman's letter? Perhaps it was the idea that she was truly devoted to a man. She would give yeah. herself to that man uniquely. And so what she gave to him was special. Yes, because when he's in this lifestyle of just using women and being with them temporarily, he's also being used temporarily. Do they care about him? No, he happened to be the, the remaining option at the end of the evening at the club or whatever. It doesn't mean that they care about him. It doesn't mean that there was anything special about him. And he's just using, and so this, this idea, well, was two consenting adults. They're both degrading each other. They're both constantly degrading each other. And what he saw in that woman's letter was a woman that loved a man and wanted to be there for him, not for other people. And that's what he realized, wow, that would be, really, really special. Steve. We had a question come in from a viewer comment a little bit ago. It says, um, it sounds like the answer to, oh, consensual relationships don't hurt anybody is it hurts both partners emotionally over the long haul. And it has the potential to hurt them physically and other types of consequences. I'm surprised people use that argument seriously. I'm afraid it's using ignorance and absent mindedness. Yes. Yes. If we don't have anything specifically on that, we've got a couple uh, questions that had come in or a couple of comments that had come in earlier to what we were talking about earlier in the program uh, to keeping oneself uh, pure. And somebody brought up, uh, and this has been in the news a lot lately about uh, Mike Pence and his policy and the flack that he's gotten for that. Um, you know, it, just, it just amazes me the hypocrisy, you've got the Me Too movement on the one hand, and then ridiculing Mike Pence for taking a stand saying, I'm not going to act like that. I'm just going to, I'm not going to be alone with a woman without my wife there. Which way do you want to have it, people? Yes. <laughs> kind of mutually exclusive. So uh, the comment was, seriously, how would you respond to the objections to Mike Pence's policy? His policy is to avoid private meetings with women some have felt that it is an offensive way to treat women. They feel like it is jumping to assumptions and conclusions about them. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, it's jumping to conclusions about the individual himself. It, it, it. <laughs> You're without words, Jeff. <laughs> we've got all these, we've got everybody from famous actors to politicians to every all kinds of people working with women and ending up in, in bed with them or taking advantage of them or abusing them or pressuring them. And, 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 and then we have a guy come along and say, you know what? I'm just going to avoid those kind of situations. I just, I just want to be loyal to my wife. And, and, and we think there's something wrong with that. <laughs> 
Yeah. Why? I guess you. I guess we see why we have all this stuff going on. That's going on because we can't figure out what the problem is. We are reaping what we've sown. Yes. Yeah. And, and it all goes back to the idea that oh well, two consenting adults, there's no problem. And it's just. Uh, it's, you know how you consent. You know how you consent. Say I do. Do you take this? Yeah. <laughs> do you take this woman to have and to hold till death do you part? I do. That's consent. That's right. Okay. We are being, we are being chastened. We are being told that the questioner added the word seriously. He wants, he wants us to be serious. It's hard hard to be serious when people are being absurd. And I'm not talking about our viewer. I'm talking about the world out there that complains about men taking advantage of women and then turns around and complains about Mike Pence who says he's not going to do it. Right. And, and I think Mike Pence, uh, this is people who would say that, oh, that's jumping to conclusions about other people. I mean, I can't speak for Mike Pence, but if I have a similar policy with people that I study with and it's not because of them, it's because of me. And I say, I, I'm just not going to make provision for that. I'm not going to let that for either one of us be an option. So you just don't start to go down that road yeah. and you won't get to where that road leads. And I fully trust you, but as my son-in-law, I appreciate the fact that you honor your wife and my daughter with that rule. That's just a good rule. Uh, Yeah, the the person who uh, put in that comment when he said, I'm laughing with all of you. I'm serious. There was a serious question, but I'm laughing with all of you as well. And he continues, I have the policy myself. I was surprised when women said I'm assuming badly about them for whatever it's worth. He says, I'm still laughing with you. No worries. <laughs> yeah, because it is silly. And I, I'll tell you one other thing, even when people say, well, but I'm not going to, or she's not going to, that doesn't mean that there's not wisdom in it. Still. Uh, there's been a lot of people just gotten themselves emotionally have an emotional fair that led to a physical fair. But there can be this also. Uh, I, I used to have a regular study with a friend and uh, it was a woman. And so I would never go in until I made sure one of the other sisters were there and was already in the house. And we would study together because of that rule. You just don't go study alone. Well, later an anonymous letter, perhaps from somebody that had been withdrawn from came in accusing that there'd been something going on in those Bible studies. I wasn't trying to have something going on different. She wasn't trying to have something going on different. We were studying the Bible, but an outsider could make an accusation, but the accusation fell flat because there was always someone else with a you. group of people studying the Bible. If you ignore the rule, then when someone makes the accusation, how can you disprove it? Stephen? We just got a couple minutes left, but there was one more question I thought would be helpful to, to touch on. Um, Can I get were... something real quickly just on this one last thing mm-hmm. before we get to change the subject? We, you know, as a society, we seem to, on the one hand, want to acknowledge that the, the sex drive is a powerful thing. And then we want to turn around and say, well, can't you control yourself? Do you, what Are you thinking badly about women? Wait a minute. 
we, we hand out condoms in high schools because we say the kids are going to do this. They can't have self-control. We make movies about people who become infatuated with one another and unexpectedly fall into bed together. We write romance novels and, and people pour over romance novels because we find this so uh, powerful. And, and, then, and then when somebody says, you know what, it, there is a powerful urge there. There's something there that we need to guard against. And we say, what? You thinking bad things about me that I would do such? No, it's not. It's not that we're thinking bad things that you would do such. It's that we are building up defenses so that we don't fall into the trap that we say is so powerful in all the movies and the books that we write. Oh, point. Proverbs just came to my mind about the, the, the father giving his son advice to avoid those situations, avoid the woman. Yes. Stephen, you had a point. Wrap us up with it. Well, we may have to uh, continue with this next week. This is a good question. It came in early on. It says, it starts with teaching your children and not being embarrassed to broach the subject. I still teach my young adult children and don't want them to ever be afraid to come to me with questions. The older are to teach the younger about things they don't have the capacity to understand yet. And that's absolutely right, is, is we need to be teaching our children and training them up to do the rules that God has put there for our good. Uh, there's so much heartache that we are spared if we learn these things early on and commit to doing what, what God has said. Yeah, uh, Stephen, you're right. There's a lot of other comments that came in and still coming in. So we, we are running out of time. Actually, we ran out of time. So we can continue this. We'll, we'll go through the comments and see which ones we want to uh, add to next week to bring it in to close it out maybe next week, but it's a good topic. Good, good suggestion, a uh, good uh, thing to discuss. Gentlemen, thank you very much for uh, your input. Thank you audience for your feedback and questions and comments. We look forward to that and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. All.